Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world with dueling no-hitters. I'm Jake Miller. That's Jordan Miller. And today, we're going to talk about Bryce Miller and Mason Miller. Miller time indeed. Over in the Bay Area last night, we had an epic clash between all-time sporting titans Steph Curry and LeBron James. But 2,500 brave souls took their time to go to the Coliseum and watch Mason Miller versus Bryce Miller. And this podcast is going to focus on that and not the Lakers versus Warriors. We are going to begin with a little bit of bias ball, check in on our two favorite teams. That includes Bryce Miller's very own Seattle Mariners. Yeah, it's his team already. We're going to talk about Jake's Orioles, who just, they just keep on winning. Honestly, the Orioles, were they already at 20 wins? That took a lot longer in recent seasons to get to 20 wins. We're going to talk about the Orioles. We have a special guest. We're going to bring on uh, Cubs beat writer Maddie Lee to talk about the Cubs, who are in a very, very weird spot. Looking forward to that conversation. We'll talk about the red-hot Dodgers, who are embarrassing the Phillies in Bryce Harper's return. And then at the end, we will talk about Lil Wayne and WRC+, Plus because that's what this podcast is all about. But Jake, we will begin with Miller time, because last night, Bryce Miller made his major league debut. Mason Miller, Division Three legend, made his third major league start. How much did you watch this game? Because it was a delight from first pitch, despite the sparse attendance. I tuned in in the fifth inning once it said perfect game on MLB.com. Because to be honest with you, Jordan, even though I knew the Millers were facing off, I did not tune in from first pitch because, again, it was A's Mariners. Maybe that makes me a small-brained baseball fan, but I got home from the yard and I needed to finish. I needed to watch the end of the middle games instead of the beginning of the late games because I am a rational person. And now I have FOMO because these two young Millers, they faced off and gave us an absolute duel for the ages. Yes, they be milling all night long in Oakland. Bryce Miller, perfect through five in his major league debut only the third pitcher in basically baseball history. This this stat honestly blows my mind. Ten strikeouts and no walks in a major league debut. Only happened three times now. Joining Johnny Cueto, what a legend. And of course, Steven Strasburg, the iconic debut for him. Uh, but meanwhile, Mason Miller on the other side goes seven no hit uh, with you know four walks, but still seven no hit. He gets pulled. The Mariners end up coming back and winning. But let's... Forget about how the game ended up. I mean, it was a very depressing end to uh, an incredible start for Mason Miller. It was a triumphant comeback to to allow the Bryce Miller start to really shine for the Mariners. Let's focus on these two, specifically Bryce in his Major League debut. 
what did you really watching him and watching some of the highlights? I know you weren't watching from first pitch, but what did what did watching him make make you think? And then I'll kind of you know give some background for those who maybe don't really know who this guy is because he really has not been on prospect radars that long, even you know as being a fourth round pick. Small and loose were the two things that I got from watching him. The mustache certainly stood out. Another thing that stood out for me, his mom's knockoff Mariners jersey, when they cut to the parents in the stands, very clear that she did not purchase that at the team store. And I believe his dad was wearing a Texas A&M jacket. The other weird thing is it was like raining on and off for half of this game, which really gave it the the extra you know gloomy Oakland vibes. It felt like people he knew were 10% of the 2,500 souls who showed up. Yes. Very bizarre debut. And a very impressive setting to dominate to the extent that he did. Yeah, and as people pointed out last week, I mean, there were three times as many people at his double-A start last week than at this game. So in some ways, it's like, okay, against the A's in front of the opposite of a packed house, like presumably the nerves would be a little bit lesser, right? Versus what he'll have this weekend at home against the Astros, which will certainly be a different kind of vibe. But to your description, right, small and loose, I agree with you. And when you just see, okay, he's listed at 6'2", 180, that doesn't sound like an uncharacteristically small pitcher. But I remember when I saw him for the first time in person this spring, I saw him throw uh, on the backfields when I was in Peoria in February. And I was like, this dude's not very big. And he is just blowing it by, guys. And while the velo was merely good, not great, it was not it was not Mason Miller level, right? And even Mason Miller's velo was down last night relative to where he'd been at. The carry that that pitch has and the spin, which I believe was up near like generally elite as far as fastball spin rates. Um, yeah, averaging. Wow. Yeah. Averaging over 2,500 on his four seamer, which is about as good as it's going to get. And that's what everyone has talked about with Bryce Miller since he really entered the system. You know, Coming out of Texas A&M, he was a reliever in junior college. He kind of transitioned back and forth. The Mariners believed he could start and they've, they've built up his workload and he's, you know, he's had some injuries, but Man, that is that is just a special, special fastball, which makes the obvious comparison is Spencer Strider. Like, am I expecting him to be Spencer Strider? Of course not, because Spencer Strider is is one of one in a lot of senses. But stylistically, in terms of that kind of magic overpowering fastball, um, out of a guy that doesn't necessarily now the, the difference is that you look at Spencer Strider's lower lower half and you're like, well, yeah, that's where the power is coming from. With Bryce Miller, it's I guess it's just arm speed and and you know mechanics that really drive that velo, but. It's a special pitch, and if those other, if the if the secondaries are going to look as good as they did last night, I mean, he's going to have success right away. It was a great juxtaposition with Mason Miller, who is big and whose fastball is can similarly bully hitters, but for Mason Miller, it's heat. It's not necessarily just the spin. I understand that there's a lot of good carry on that pitch, but it's just heat in the zone that no one can put a bat on. And for the first, you know, six and Seven innings, I guess, last night, the Mariners didn't get a single hit. And that all changed after the seventh inning when the A's went out and took Mason Miller out of the ball game because he was a rookie and his third career started 100 pitches, even though he had a no-hitter. And they brought in Richard Lovelady, who promptly allowed a solo home run to AJ Pollock. Mariners end up taking the, the win 2-1 to one on a Jared Kelnick double down the line later in that frame. And it was just a very unfortunate, inevitable ending to a really wonderful game for Mason Miller. But yeah, very impressive. Cool. To, it, to me, the whole thing was a reminder that even in the Coliseum this year, where it is a lifeless exercise of sport, 
can wonder wonderful things can still happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and part of that, like I as Mason Miller was dealing, and after Bryce Miller gave up, it was so funny how quickly the switch went from oh my god Bryce Miller to as soon as Bryce Miller's perfect game goes away I'm just like oh my god the Mariners are getting no hit <laughs> like it was like the vibe switch was so quick and then it switches back when Conley gets the double it honestly made me really sad because like say Mason Miller does like w- when I now watch the A's at home I can only imagine and this is going to be a theme all season long and maybe next year whatever for A's fans for, especially for a guy like Mason Miller right like, this is something to be excited about for the Oakland A's. And if you're an Oakland A's fan, like, this is a guy that you want to rally around. You want to see him succeed. And you just don't even know how much longer he's going to be pitching, you know, down the street, you know, for lack of a better term. And that that sucks. Like, of course, they're still rooting for him. And the fans that are still showing up want to support their team and support those players that mean a lot and are wearing the jersey that they care about. But that that also just, like, made me bummed out. Uh, not to mention, of course, how it ended, ended which is just you know, going to be par for the course for A's this season. So let's move on to a little bit of bias ball. Jake and Jordan, we're objective baseball analysts. Sometimes, sometimes we put our fan hats on and that is bias ball. Let's begin with you, Jordan. The state of the Seattle Mariners. Speak to your people. Talk to the country. Let us know what needs to be known. So they start the year 12 and 16, which is the same record they started last season with. So that's fine. (laughs) 14-game <laughs> winning streak uh, last year. Are we counting on that again? Probably not. <laughs> but at the same time, where am I at? Am I feeling relative to expectations? I would say I'm at like, I would give this season so far uh, like a B- minus or like a C plus. Am I panicking? Now, the injuries are concerning, right? The Robbie Ray thing sucks. But again, I wasn't as worried about that because I knew I could trust that Bryce Miller, not that he was going to come up and throw a perfect game through five innings. But like I... This organization has given me reason to believe that the pitchers that they put out there are going to succeed. Look at this bullpen. Look at Justin Topa, Trevor Gott, and Gabe Spire, all three of whom have been amazing. When they brought those three guys in, I was like, all right, one of these guys is going to be electric. And the other two, who cares? But like, I trust them. All three of them have been marvelous. And that has covered up for the fact that Diego Castillo, one of their big recent acquisitions, is bad outright into AAA, and that's not surprising, but that's fine. The rest of the starting pitching, really good, right? Besides that that flexing spot, which they're now hopefully replacing with Miller, Castillo, amazing. Kirby and Gilbert have been great. Marco has been exactly what Marco needs to be. And then the bullpen has continued to be good with guys like Seawald and, and Brash. The offense is the problem, and you saw them in person. You know they're at least one bat short, probably two bats short. At the same time, did I expect... Colton Wong to become the worst hitter in the league? No, and neither did you watching, okay? If you thought that Colton <laughs> Wong was suddenly going to to bounce to, to fall back to this level of batting, AJ Pollock as well, like, I'm sorry, like it's just it's just shitty luck. Now, maybe other teams could have seen some sort of fall off like that coming, but like that has gone way worse than anyone could have expected. Even if you were underwhelmed by those moves, which was fair, them being this bad is shocking and not something that I think you could blame the Mariners for. You could blame them for not doing more, but for counting on those veterans who have been pretty stable for many, many years to be this bad is a little bit surprising. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez, I know people are, are mad because now Mitch Hanniger's back and looks just as good, if not better. I'm not really worried about him. Julio's been the other one who's been like underwhelming, but also clearly dealing with some minor back injuries. But I'm not worried about Julio. I'm not worried about, I'm certainly not worried about some of the other parts of the offense like France, like Suarez, like Teoscar and Raleigh. 
And so I just think this is like a pretty good team with some serious holes and they're going to have to dig their way out of it and hope that the Astros don't get healthy and start tearing off some wins and hope that the Rangers can also kind of cool off because they have a lot of work to do. They're a good team, but they have a lot of work to do. How much are you buying the Kalanick breakout? Oh, I'm, I'm in. I mean, again, is he going to have a thousand OPS all season? No, but like, again, you watch him like it's clearly different. It is clearly everything about it, everything about the approach, everything about the way he takes his strikeouts, everything about the way he's just acting and, and taking in everything that happens, particularly in the box. And he's obviously a great defender in the outfield. He's a really good player and he's been, he's been huge for them. Without that, it's been, it, it would be a lot rougher. He's certainly covered up a lot of the, the slow, slower starts, but I'm a believer, and I think that is what really brings this offense to what could be a really good level once everyone starts clicking. He's carrying himself like a big boy now. Yeah, big time. So, yeah, they, listen, there, there's, there are some flaws with this roster. The depth on offense is still very troublesome. They cannot afford another injury on offense, but the pitching is going to be the headliner, and as long as the pitching's there, I think they're going to be competitive. So got to win these games against Oakland, though. That's the thing. That's what's so devastating because you know it's one thing to like lose close games to Toronto and have everyone shitting their pants. Like losing games to bad teams when you're desperately trying to get back in the mix is just so heartbreaking, which is a good transition to your team, Jake, because the Baltimore Orioles last night, uh, they're in Kansas City this week. And while the Rays, of course, have shot out ahead of everybody else, the Baltimore Orioles are not that far behind. They are now only the, I believe, fourth team to reach 20 wins so far this season. And now they're playing Kansas City. And that is an opportunity to keep on going, keep stacking those wins. And last night, you know, the, they gave up some runs to the worst offense in baseball, but they also scored a bunch of runs themselves because if there's one thing I've learned about the 2023 Baltimore Orioles is that they absolutely mash. Birds rake. The Orioles have played a relatively easy schedule so far this season, but they have very much taken care of business. Three out of four against Oakland. Six out of seven against Detroit. A two-game sweep against the Nats. Two out of three against the White Sox. Those are the type of the win last night against the Royals. Those are the kind of games you need to win if you're going to be a good team, right? It's not just beating up. It's not just competing against the best teams. It's taking it to the crappy teams. And the Orioles have done that so far this year. And that's because, as you mentioned, this team freaking matches. And it's a lot of what you expected and a lot of things that came out of the blue. What are the things that are going right that people expected? Adley Rushman is exactly what he was supposed to be. It is remarkable. It is incredible. He has an OPS 53% better than league average, 901 ops. Like he's just been the man. Jorge Mateo, what the fuck? Who would have thought that this would have been happening? Nobody. Six homers, 1020 OPS, 10 steals. Like this guy has looked like one of the best shortstops in baseball. I don't buy it to this extent, but if he's like a one- 10 OPS plus guy over the course of the full season, and he's giving you 30 steals, 40 steals, 40 steals. It's going to be more than 50 steals. I mean, he's, yeah. he's playing good defense. And like, yeah, I, I was bullish on Mateo this year. Like, I thought with the rule changes, like, I really thought he yeah. could be a, a good player. Obviously, nothing like this. But I, I really thought that, you know, he could, he could, his value would increase a lot this season. And then Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins have both been outstanding in the outfield. Anthony Santander and Gunnar Henderson have underwhelmed a little bit. Henderson is being way too passive at the plate. Like part of what makes him a really talented hitter is his pitch recognition and decision making, but it's gotten to the point where it's overly passive. He has 20 walks, which is impressive, but he's also hitting 184. And so there's 
Like last night, he went over two with three walks and took a called third strike late in the game. Like he, he's definitely seeing too many pitches. And then Ryan Mountcastle is one of the weirder players in baseball. He swings basically more than anybody else. He always hits the ball hard and he somehow is perpetually unlucky and should be hitting a lot better than he does. But he just swings so early and counts so often that he just ends up making outs early and counts. Now that's the hitting. The lineup breaks. And and the other thing about this lineup is the the subs rake, like the bench guys come in and it seems like they're always raking too, whether it's like Ramon Urias or McKenna has been great. And so whatever the Orioles are doing offensively is awesome. And they just look like a good baseball team when they're hitting. Yeah. The pitching is a little bit more of a mishmash. Tyler Wells has been their best starter. Grayson Rodriguez, after kind of a slow first couple starts, seems to have been figuring some things out. Dean Kremer looks horrible, just absolutely terrible. He's giving up shots all the time. He and Tyler Wells have already allowed seven home runs apiece. Difference is Tyler Wells has been able to limit those to solo shots because he allows a lot fewer hits. Kremer has allowed 38 hits in 29 and two-thirds innings, which is less than ideal. But I would say the biggest story on the pitching side and arguably one of the biggest stories in baseball on the pitching side is the emergence of a guy named Yenier Cano. Yenier Cano has thrown 12 innings so far. He's pitched in 10 games. He has not allowed a run. He has allowed only two base runners. Two base runners. One was a hit by pitch. He plunked Justin Turner last week. The other was an infield single last night. His first hit allowed the entire season. He had thrown... Uh, I think he had faced like 30 batters without allowing a hit. This guy is nasty. Absolutely disgusting. Sinker changeup combo. Totally worth the watch. And the Orioles just keep finding bullpen pieces out of their ass. Like Danny Coulomb and Brian Baker have been out just outrageously good. Felix Bautista is as good as usual. This team has changed my mind in the start. With the start that they've had, I saw them outside the postseason picture. If you had to have me predict the postseason today, I would put them in based upon just how effortless the offensive production has been. Yeah. I mean, uh, the pitching staff, uh, 531 starter ERA, which is 25th in baseball, while the bullpen ERA is 303, which is top five. So I will say, though, it's yeah, I will say that does include Cole Irvin's numbers who made three horrible, horrible starts and was sent down to AAA. That's true. And since they sent him down, it's been a little bit better. Yeah, I've been disappointed by Bradish and Kremer. Um, Like, I really liked what I saw from Bradish last year, and he just hasn't been very good. So, I mean, this bullpen, Cano certainly has been the headliner, but Batista has been, you know, he's a little little erratic control-wise, but he's been good. But Bauman and Brian Baker and Kula, as you mentioned, like this has been a, a really complete staff, which is which is impresses me. I, I'm with you. I think the Orioles are are in pretty strong position. I don't. <laughs> I I'm I'm a little worried about this 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 pitching staff is is definitely questionable and just like in this division, they're just going to be facing offenses that are going to be able to kind of you know bomb them out. Uh, particularly the starters. So, but if they can, if they can get it to the bullpen, then then sure. Uh, I, I and hope that not too many of those guys turn into pumpkins. You know, by the middle of the summer. So the thing with the Orioles pitchers that gives me faith is how many of these meh guys they have. So if injuries do pop up, Cole Irvin, who I understand was terrible, but like. Irvin, D.L. Hall, Drew Rahm, Bruce Zimmerman, Spencer Watkins, John Means once he gets off the I.L., 
even down to double A with a guy like Cade Povich, they have real pitchers that you can put into a bad rotation, which mm-hmm. is different than bad pitchers to who can't even make a bad rotation, if that makes sense. Sure. Like there's a ton of starting pitching depth here. So when people go down or like if Dean Kremer continues to struggle, there is someone who can come up and give you a 95 ERA plus. Like, yeah. and that is valuable. Yeah. There's no Bryce Miller, <laughs> but, but there is, there is something, there is some depth there. And again, offense is going to be this team's strength. That's true. But like John Means coming back, if he looks anything sure. like John Means, it's like a big, big deal. Sure. Sure. That's true. Right. And we, we just have no, we have no clue what, what to really count on there, but that, that is a big one. And I don't know exactly what his timeline is at this point, but uh, presumably back at some point um, this summer, which will be very exciting. Last thing on the Orioles before we hit the Dodgers, before we send it to our guest, Maddie Lee. Uh, I mean, Adley, dude, like, (laughs) (laughs) I think what's been amazing about him, he has identical OPS against righties and lefties this year. And that was something that was really interesting last year as his offense was kind of uneven over the course of the season is that he struggled weirdly a ton as a right-handed hitter against left-handed pitching. Last year, 552 OPS against left-handed pitching, 889 against right-handed pitching, which was not the case in the minor leagues. Wander Franco had a similar situation. Really, well, I can't remember if it was the same in the minors, but I remember some switch hitters, weirdly, like they, sh- they show some splits in the minors, and then once they get to the big leagues, it's totally different. This year, it doesn't matter. He has basically exactly 900 OPS against both side, uh, from both sides of the plate with a pretty even sample size as well. So he's amazing. I think he is the best catcher in baseball. Um, especially with Real Muto's slow start, and uh, yeah, he is—he is everything you could possibly, you could possibly hope. So Adley is the best. All right, Jake, let's talk about the Dodgers for a little bit before we send it to our guests. They are on a W five after just kicking the crap out of the Phillies last night in Bryce Harper's not so triumphant return. Uh, the Dodgers, as we just did on Monday. We did our you know, end-of-season standings draft. What place in the standings do we believe the most? And I took the Dodgers in first place very high. And I think these last two nights have reinforced why that is. Because this team has, sure, it is not quite the overwhelming, like, you know, hurricane of superstar talent and famous people that it once was. But, man, they got a lot of good ball players. And once they figure out this bullpen situation... I think they are going to probably be well on their way to 100 wins again. But what do you think about the Dodgers so far? Freeman, Muncy, Will Smith, and Mookie Betts will take your fucking lunch money. They will grab your head and dunk it in the toilet and flush it down. They are freaking great ballplayers. It's that simple. That top four in the lineup can carry a team. And when you look at the rest of the team, the Dodgers are good enough at reviving these forgotten, overlooked veterans. We've talked about it time and time again. And they didn't need to hit on all of these guys. Okay. And that is the same with the young kids coming up. They don't need to bat a thousand here. They just need to get like two older guys and like two young guys to come up and contribute. And that's Gucci. Okay. So like, let's take a look at it. David Peralta has stunk. He has been horrible. He has been awful. But no one really cares because Jason Hayward looks like it's 2013 again. You know what I mean? Like he has just uh, all the way, just back. He's incredibly back. They cut to him last night with Freeman. And that was just such like an underrated part 
that I, I, I am sure it was written about and talked about, but like him and Freeman being reunited is, is kind of crazy and, and kind of cool. And is that why Jason Hayward is, is back to, you know, with a 925 OPS? Of course not. But like, it's, it's, it's remarkable. I think the thing with Hayward that stands out to me is like, he's 33, right? He's not 39. He's not, he's, you know, he's younger than JD Martinez. He's two years younger than David Peralta. He's the same age as Freddie Freeman, right? Like this is not like this guy was still, but just the way that he looked. But am I surprised that he has still channeled? It's not like he was really ever dealing with injuries. Like he still looks like a hell of a athlete. You know, he's still a first guy off the bus. Like, look at that guy. He was just broken. He was simply broken and the Dodgers have fixed him. And now he is great. And he's a huge part of this offense. And J.D. Martinez is also good. I know he's been injured now, but that top four you mentioned doesn't even talk about, you know, J.D. and, and Outman, who's been, who's been marvelous, even though he's been striking out a lot. So this team's so good. The starting pitching is, has still been excellent. We know Kershaw's been good. Dustin May looks basically all the way back. Urias, really good bounce back start there. I, there's still some questions with this pitching staff for sure, but like they have Gavin Stone coming up, I believe, to start today or tomorrow. And like that's, they do have a lot of those guys that could come up and immediately be a, you know, mid rotation starter. And so the, that's where the Dodgers depth really shines compared to other organizations. This homestand has also gotten the vibe back in a way where when the Dodgers are, are purring and at their peak, you turn on a Dodgers game and they're down like two runs in the third and you're like, oh, well, they're, they're just going to win. Right. Where in the later innings against bullpens, they could just pile it on and the crowd gets into it and it's the biggest stadium in baseball. And there's just this Dodger runaway train feeling that they were kind of lacking earlier on this season, especially like when the Diamondbacks came into town and kind of knocked them around a little bit. They've very much found that against the Cardinals and the Phillies too good or supposed to be good, but now struggling teams. And I would you take the Dodgers or the Padres to win the division right now? Like if you had Dodgers, to, that's, how, that's how I started this conversation. I'm still taking the Dodgers. Now I feel really good about the Padres uh peak like really picking it up. Um but yeah, no, I'm 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 there. I'm I, I feel great about them. I just think I mean, I would I be would I be shocked? Would I be shocked if the Padres win the division? No, of course not. But I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned them because while the, the schedule hasn't been as easy as the, the Orioles. But now we're really going to get a nice little stretch here for the Dodgers. After this Philly series, go to San Diego, go to Milwaukee, then home for San Diego, home for Minnesota. This is a nice little stretch here to really see them get healthy, get some of their younger guys to come up and, and see how they can perform. I think this will be a much bigger test. And and yeah, I mean, this is this is going to be huge, right? First, uh, first Padres series of the year. We got Tatis back. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a great time this weekend. So let's 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 see where we're at, how we're feeling a week from now. But I feel pretty good about the Dodgers. Last thing about the Dodgers, Clayton Kershaw. What a guy! Holy holy shit, dude! <laughs> like he's so good. I think what's the thing about Kershaw now is like he's so it's so boring. Like because of his slider is. Again, that is the best pitch, right? We talk about how that pitch is so effective, right? But it is so underwhelming viscerally, right? The curveball is the one that you want to see, yeah, visually, right? Yeah. The one that you want to see is the curveball, and that is still, I mean, that was on when it, his last start. The curveball is there. But with the lack of the Vila, like, you're just watching it, and you've seen it a million times. But when you watch him just come off the mound after another one run over five innings or whatever, it's like, this dude is 
a legend. This guy is one of the best pitchers you've ever seen. It doesn't hit you in the same way when you watch DeGrom, when you watch Garrett Cole, even when you watch a Scherzer or whatever. But man, it's just like he, he is just as good. He is just he is not. And, and that's where I feel like we're headed. Like, I, is he just going to do this forever? Because I feel like he's going to go out on top. I think this is going to be like a David Ortiz situation, regardless of the Dodgers. That somebody's going to be like, I'm done pitching. I was never bad. And I am the fucking shit. <laughs> 38 innings this year, 189 ERA, more than a K in inning at age 35. Like, I, we thought he was cooked. Like, he looked cooked. There were parts like when you say like, he looked cooked, it was so not that bad. Like I agree with right, you. Right, right. <laughs> like, you because go there was the moment there with Kershaw where like any failure was shocking. He had right. been so dominant for such an extended period of time that anytime anybody knocked him around at all, it felt like the sky was falling. But you're right. Like the worst his single season ERA ever got was 303. You know? <laughs> and that season he still was an all-star and finished eighth in the Cy Young. Yeah. But even like, well, it was 355 a couple a couple of years ago. But like oh, you're that right. was you're right. with with the injuries, right? This is the other thing. Um, but he's still going out there. Maybe his back hurts a lot, but doesn't seem to be bothering him too much. <laughs> so he's amazing, and we should we should never ever lose sight of that. All right, let's take a break, and when we return, we are going to talk about the Cubbies of Chicago with Maddie Lee. Hey, everybody, I'm James Hinchcliffe. And I'm Alexander Rossi, and we're the hosts of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. The racing season is in full swing, and we're breaking down all the exciting action on and off the track from the world of IndyCar, NASCAR, Formula One, and more. And by more, we mean that sometimes we just talk about whatever the hell we want, like time travel, Canadian ships, or the many reasons not to go to Death Valley. Either way, join us. Every week, we'll be here having fun. Fun's a relative term, but that's not the point. Download Off Track with Hinch and Rossi on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back to Baseball Barbercast. We are very excited to do some Cubs chat, and we are now joined by Cubs beat writer for the Chicago Sun-Times and legend of Lewis and Clark softball. It is Maddie Lee. Welcome to the Barbercast. Thanks so much. That might be the best intro I've ever gotten. Mm. Well, well, we'll save our NWC chat for the end of our conversation. <laughs> we have to talk about the Cubs, Maddie, because this team confuses us. Earlier on this episode, Jake and I were talking about the Mariners and the Orioles and how for teams who want to be good and want to prove that they're good, they have to beat the bad teams. Last night, we saw the Cubs fail to do that in a game against the Nats. Now, by the time you're listening to this, maybe on Wednesday night, maybe the Cubs are up by 20 runs against the Nationals. Maybe they're down by 20 runs. Who knows? But we wanted to do a big picture check-in for the Chicago Cubs because coming into this year, there was reasons to be excited. They made some big moves this offseason, but they were still projected for around 75, 76 wins. And yet now here we are. They're just a game over 500, but it seems like Cubs fans are taking this season very seriously. So what is your take so far through about uh, 30 games? Are you surprised by anything? How do you feel like they've played? Yeah, well, Cubs fans have been taking a lot of things very seriously. My favorite moment this off season. So even before they were expected to be like competitive was when all but one shortstop, one of the top four shortstops were off the market and a whole thing started going around Twitter where bloggers and even Ian Happ like started offering like giveaways because it was such a tough time 
for the fan base. Like this is the level of care that we're talking about. And it's wonderful. Um, and we see it a lot on Twitter and like, gotta love Cubs fans. Well, uh, let me ask you this. Them, obviously. How many years have you been on the beat? This is your what year covering uh, the Cubs? Fourth year on the beat. So in, now in year four, again, you've seen kind of like to call it a rebuild is, is I think accurate, but the Cubs were in a position that they could kind of spend their way through some of the, the, the tougher parts as they go out and sign a guy like Dansby Swanson. And he's been really good. But what I'm interested in is, as we mentioned, those fans, what are expectations at for the actual team? Because of course, fans, when you, when you spend a lot of money and you get some famous players and some of the young players are looking good, you, you want to be optimistic. You want to think you're good, but like, what is the organization's sense of what the expectations are for this year? Do they think they can be a postseason team this season? Yeah, so I think it's two separate things about what the organization's expectations are versus what the fan base's expectations are, right? The organization has like very specific projections that they're trying to beat and like it's all very analytical and precise. The fan base's expectations have varied wildly since that point that I just described to starting to get a bunch of guys to then looking at the offense and being like, Oh gosh, I don't know if how many of these guys can actually hit to then Dansby having a terrible spring and then being like, Oh my gosh, is Dansby ever going to have a base hit in the regular season to then the offense started off really well this year. I think better than any of us could have reasonably expected. I mean, Cody Bellinger hitting is like he was a huge question mark coming into this season and he's had a really good start to the year he looked fantastic in LA which was a fun thing to witness um and so I think right now might just be like a little bit of a regression to the mean right as they you know lost a bunch of one run games in Miami which part of that was hole in the starting rotation and we saw how that they actually almost made up that massive deficit um so i mean i think this is just one of the normal dips in a season i don't think they're going to be as good as one like everyone from at least one to seven if not further was hitting um but I also don't think that they're going to continue to lose one-run games at this rate. So when you take a look at the team last year, in 2022, the expectations were pretty low. They were supposed to be bad. The organization knew this. The fan base knew this. Even the players by the middle of the year probably knew this. And so when the team was giving 287 plate appearances to Alfonso Rivas, who was bad, or 230 to Nick Madri Nick Madrigal, who was bad, or Fran Mil Reyes, who was bad, or Frank Schwindel, who was bad. No one was tearing their hair out on the north side of Chicago because there was everyone knew what was happening, what the deal was. This year, there's a renewed sense of expectation that this team has a chance to actually be competitive in a crappy division. And so what that what that means is every Eric Hosmer ground out to second base feels like the end of the world. That is the current consternation among most Cubs fans. Can you explain to maybe a non-Cubs fan the drama going on right now with Matt Mervis and Eric Hosmer? 
the first yeah, base so, men for the Chicago Cubs, kind of. Yeah, you just you just touched on the that's the Matt Mervis is the big factor for why Cubs fans. I think there there was like one tweet where Eric Cosmer made a bad base running mistake. He like try half heartedly tagged up on a sack fly on at second base and then made it halfway down the baseline before getting thrown out because he didn't commit either way. Um, and then the reaction was, well, Matt Mervis wouldn't have done that because he would have hit a home run in the first place. <laughs> so <laughs> there's Matt Mervis had a fantastic year last year. He hit a ton of home runs. He, I think the last time I checked had six this season. He is a power hitting lefty that Cubs fans want to see up in the big leagues. They were told all the way going back to the end of last season that this spring was going to be a big opportunity for Matt Mervis. And then they brought in three other first basemen, if you if you count Edwin Rios. And so he's you know blocked a little there. Um, and so every time any left-handed first baseman doesn't hit a home run, clearly Matt Mervis would have in that situation, even though he has not been in the big leagues before. So, so that's, that's the current state. Okay, that's the state. So I, I'm curious, let's like give the Cubs organization the benefit of the doubt yeah. for a second, okay? Right. Why is Matt Mervis in AAA? Why is Eric Hosmer still in the big leagues? Let's pretend, let's just like, I, if you're a Cubs fan and you're listening to this, you're probably like, I need yeah. to skip ahead or throw my phone in the toilet. <laughs> but like, let's just put ourselves in the mind of Jed Hoyer. Why is this the current state of play? Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with projecting out what Eric Hosmer can do over the course of the season. What, which that's more, there's a track record there, right? And what he's doing so far this season lines up with his track record in recent years. Um, and I mean, he, the clubhouse has really embraced him. Guys really love him. He's had some big moments, uh, but he hasn't done anything to prove like, oh, this is good. He hasn't done what Cody Bellinger has done, right? Where yeah. it's like, oh, this guy clearly has has turned the corner in a big way. Um, versus projecting out what Matt Mervis could do in in the big leagues, which there's a, a much wider range of possibilities, right? He could continue to do what he's doing in AAA. He could slump really hard. Like we don't, we don't actually know what that transition is going to look like for him. And so I think they just don't want to rush him and they don't want to jump the gun. They, they're in the seat where they say, all right, when we have to bring him up, we'll know, like he will make it clear, like, all right, it's time. And like, I'm fully expecting him to get a shot this season. When? We'll see how that plays out. And a lot of that's going to be dictated next few weeks. But it's actually, it, like, I think the guy who right now is making, has an easier path is Christopher Morell, who is, like, the best hitter in minor league baseball right now, had success last year can play multiple positions, even though, you know, defensively he might not be as good as the guys he's he would be replacing, but like he has that versatility to fit into multiple spots, which makes him gives him more opportunities as a bench player. So it's kind of fun. Like, no offense to Matt Mervis at all. He's a wonderful player. 
it's kind of funny that the fan base is beating the drum so hard for him while Christopher Morrell actually has better offensive numbers than him right now. Right. It's like send Edwin Rios out of town, like nice try, let's move on and bring in a guy who is probably a better hitter right now and can play infield and outfield. That's and why Cubs fans are starting to lose roster. it. And is on the 40-man roster. Exactly. I'm I'm most interested by the the, the Hosmer. It's so predictable. Like no, This is like the least surprising storyline and how it's gone. It's like everything has been exactly as I expected. Because but, baseball players yeah. love Eric Hosmer. They have always <laughs> yeah. loved Eric Hosmer. It's not like Hosmer was going to come into this clubhouse and be a problem, right? Like we knew he was going to endear himself and that he was going to have an 85 OPS plus. Like those <laughs> things were inevitable, right, Jordan? Yeah, but to me, that what's interesting about it is, is you mentioned how Morel kind of fits more on the offense. I'm fascinated by the fact that like they really have with mostly a lot of this has to do with the fact that Patrick Wisdom has been unbelievable. But like yeah. a lot of these spots are really secure right now. And with Suzuki mm-hmm. back... And with Bellinger playing so well, like you have seven spots that are just locked in. Like that is just what it is going to be as long as Patrick Wisdom is hitting like this. And so there's that's why all the focus is on the first base. At the same time, we, we kind of touched over briefly. Like there's let's let's move past Hosmer and Mervis for a second because they're still over 500. There's some things going really well here, right? And I don't know if you want to touch on Wisdom or any 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 of the pitchers. I think Justin Steele certainly deserves a lot more attention. But but what are some of the things that are going well that Cubs fans are almost – I mean, not that they don't know how good these guys are. They're watching them every day. But that if you are only following Cubs fans on Twitter, you don't necessarily even know some of the really good things that are going on for the Cubs this year. Yeah. Well, since you mentioned Justin Steele, let's get into that. I mean – What's remarkable to me about this start is he basically throws two pitches. He has others in his arsenal, but when he's been the best, it's just been that four-seamer and that slider, and hitters know what's coming. Like, those two pitches are what's coming, and they still cannot hit him. He has had an incredible start to this season. Uh, He's really picked up, I think, partway through last year, He really, well, he got some advice from John Lester via David Ross about really uh, Mm. utilizing that four-seamer, leaning on that I could use some of that. I could use some advice from John Lester. Advice from John Lester, yeah. Um, Yeah. Same. Uh, But that seemed to, like, really unlock something for him in terms of the way that he attacks hitters, and he has just been cruising since then. He will, if you ask him, he also credits becoming a father, which is just very sweet. Classic. So, and the perspective we've heard that, that before. That <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whatever, whatever, whatever he needs to believe, that's fine. Like that's good. <laughs> he's been incredible. It's I mean, just that. Yeah, he's a one forty nine ERA in six starts. Like he, he might be one of the best twenty pitchers in baseball. And I would say that very, very few people outside of Chicago and Mississippi have heard his name. <laughs> I'm glad you put Mississippi in there too. Oh yeah. Yeah, loose tail, loose tail stand yeah. up. Dansby Swanson has cut his strikeout rate by a significant amount and spiked his walk rate by nearly double compared to last year. Now, some of that is probably small sample size. I'm duh. Yes. But yes. if you watched Dansby Swanson last year and you watch him this year, he does seem to have a much better control of the strike zone and is offering it pitches beyond the strike zone at a much lower rate. Is this something that was initiated by him? 
something that was initiated by the Cubs coaching staff? Or is this just dumb luck in a small sample size of a month? Yeah, well, I I am curious to see how it plays out over the course of the season. Um, it's interesting because what he flagged coming in was that he wanted to really cut down on the swing and miss in zone. And so in that zone. was his and th- that was his focus coming in. Um, and then, you know, he went through the rough spring and kind of had to just focus on timing. Um, and now he's just like, I, I don't know if he's, he's very general when you ask him about his, about his swing, what he's focusing on with his swing and, um, doesn't want to get too much into specifics, but I think, you know, some of that may, I'm going to try to swing this in zone. And then with that, like, oh, now I have a really good sense of what my zone is. And I think a lot of the guys have been very complimentary of the Cubs staff, too, about presenting them with stuff with with the scouting reports in a very productive way where they've cut out some of the unnecessary noise and have been able to really hone in on like, these are the pitches that you do damage on. This is how much this guy throws those pitches and go. Um, so, you know, with a guy like Dansby, he's been around the league. Maybe that has nothing to do with it. But a guy like Patrick Wisdom, that has been huge for him. And so, you know, maybe a little of both. It's so funny, though, that you say his goal was to hit more pitches in the zone. He's been worse at that. Like he has swung and missed <laughs> more pitches in the zone this year than he did last year. But he's just swinging a lot less and right. swinging and missing at pitches outside the zone way less. So, like, he I, hitting is either dumb luck or bizarre or random chance or maybe it is yeah. correlated, like you said. But I love that he gets the spring. He's like, this is what I'm going to improve on. And then he just improves <laughs> on that. that. Comp- gets worse at it and improves on the other thing. Well, it's the, great. But the he's hitting thing, yeah. so well. Like, right. Well, like it's, and, so, like, and, don't change whatever you're doing. <laughs> And I know he's 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 popped a couple in the last week or so, uh, but it is very weird to look at a Dansby Swanson slash, slash line where his OBP is above his slug, <laughs> which is like yeah. the opposite of what he has been right. over the last two years as he's developed into this power hitting shortstop where it's like, yes, yeah, sorry, the OBP might not be pretty, but I'm a awesome shortstop and I can hit 25 homers. So what right. are you going to well, be mad about it? Some of that is also playing at Wrigley in yeah. April. Yeah. That'll, totally fair. Is it cold there? Some of it. It's cold there? Yeah. I know. Except for, no except one has ever talked games. about this before. Um, it's cold? Cold there? I, wild. I know. I'm break, breaking news. Wow. But it turns out, yeah, actually pretty frigid. Um, I actually, I'm going to pass on Hap. Do you have a Hap question? Because I actually No, no. I, I mean, Hap is question. good. Like, he's, I just love that he's, you know, they, he was obviously storyline last year. And they go into spring, they get the extension done uh, early in the season, and he's just he's just great. He's I mean, it's it's cool to see him. I know he's talked a lot about it, but uh, I'm sure he's been one of the least surprising parts of the season that he's yeah. just he's exactly what they just paid for. And, and I have to imagine that's that's got to feel pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, well, if there was any surprise, it was them getting that extension because yeah. it didn't look like it was going to happen at the end of spring. Um, but then they got Nico done and then mm-hmm. a week or two into the season got movement and, and there you go. Look, the Cubs can 
they, they can extend Get, their players. Come and to now, extension agreements. It's it's wild. And now, uh, you know, Cubs fans are like, all right, time to give Cody Bellinger $100 million. Seems like oh, a great God. idea. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure uh, Maddie will be dealing with uh, such people in her replies. But we appreciate the time. This was a, a delight to 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 review the, the current Cubs season so far. Where can people find your work and, and follow you and whatnot? Yeah, uh, the Sun-Times. We, our paywall's down. We love donations, but if you really want to, you can read my stuff for free on the website. Subscribe, well, to print if you're in Chicago. I don't actually know how far we'll send print papers, so you could try elsewhere. <laughs> but um, yeah, and then I'm on, on Twitter, but less and less every day. But <laughs> Good but for you. All the news is there. Extremely Good for you. Fair. Good for your mental health. That's outstanding. The, the radius of how far they'll send the Sun-Times is equal to the radius from St. Louis, where they become Paneras and they're not St. Louis bread companies anymore. <laughs> the line is that's in Bloomington, border. Illinois somewhere. Yeah, that's the border. Uh, all that's right. Well, Maddie, thank you so much. And uh, go Pios. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And welcome back to the end of this episode of Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. Thank you to Maddie Lee for enlightening us about the Cubs. From the Cubs to the Padres. I have no good transition there. Little moment on last night's broadcast between the Padres and the Reds. Blake Snell mic'd up in the dugout. And he, he's on the broadcast and he says to the, to the Padres announcers, guys, what is WRC plus? And they didn't really seem to know either. And this just really brought up a lot of thoughts in my head. Jordan, what did you think of this clip and what did, what, what did it remind you of or make you think about it? Well, the first thing is Blake Snell is the perfect player oh. and personality to ha- kind of bring this discourse into the world. Because Blake Snell is like, and this is, again, this is not to make fun of him, but like he's exactly the kind of guy that is like, in his own world. He's doing his thing, right? He does not need to do anything differently because what Blake Snell being Blake Snell has worked. <laughs> he is he has never had to change the things that he cares about, the way that he, you know, talks, the way that like it is it is just him. And it is great. It's honestly one of the reasons why I, I love Blake Snell as, as a personality. It is one of the reasons why I am constantly frustrated with Blake Snell <laughs> as a personality. That he should make sure. a couple adjustments, he could be the best pitcher in the world. But right. go no, on. I agree. I agree. But I think you see what I'm saying. At the same time, now a lot of people will be like, this idiot doesn't know WRC+. Plus. Take a step back there. If you're, if you're saying that earnestly, right? I know it's 2023. We all feel like we've been you know, steeped in fan graphs leaderboards for over a decade now. And we all think that we know these things. I was admittedly a little surprised, assuming he was telling the truth, that Don Orsillo did not know what WRC+. Plus. Yeah, I was surprised by that. I'm not saying I was disappointed or aghast, right? But I was, I was surprised by that. That did surprise me. But for Blake Snell, I know. Why would he need to know that? Think about it that way. What, why does Blake Snell need to know what WRC Plus is? It, it, truly, right? Like, honestly, if you want to say that a, that a hitter maybe should know what this is, uh, maybe, right? Maybe. Maybe you think that they should know, oh, how I'm being now judged more by teams. Okay, fine, right? Why would, why would Blake Snell need to know this, right? And then you think, okay, why would he go out of his way to, to, to ask this? And who would be going out of their way to tell him? 
And I appreciate that Blake Snell sees this. The reason why this became a discussion point is that we are seeing these on the board. Probably for early parts of, of Blake Snell's career, even in Tampa Bay, these numbers were not being pushed in his face in any sort of situation. In this case, they're showing up everywhere. They're showing up on the, on the big screen at games. Now, where are you at with that uh, and whether that's a good thing? Well, we've had this entire conversation here on this show just now without explaining what WRC Plus is. I know. And I, I think that is a – which we'll do in a second, but – that is a great example and a, mm-hmm. uh, of, of why these stats are useful and dangerous is the wrong word, but they're somewhat reductive and, and, and we use them and we talk over people, I think, sometimes. Not yeah. intentionally, but yeah. it's a good reminder that so many baseball fans, people who enjoy the sport and you know people who digest the sport and are interested and passionate about the sport, don't give a shit about things like WRC+. Now, there are also fans who do, and we obviously cater to those fans because that's the type of people and the type of fans that we are. But it is really a good reminder why, like Blake Snell saying this is kind of speaking, in my opinion, for the type of fan that self-involved, smart baseball analysts like us sometimes talk past. Well, again, it's it's not about anything wrong with the statistic in, in general, which, right. by the way, again, WRC+, plus, OPS+, plus, these are statistics plus stats. That was one of the funniest parts about the Plus the what? Is, is Blake Stiles like, what is the plus, right? And the plus is the whole reason why that this is a good statistic. Way runs created plus is a formula that is, of course, judging a hitter's output. But the plus part is the most important part, which is how is it relative to the league average with 100 being league average. And so I think he was referring to Matt Carpenter and how his WRC plus was just as good as judge over probably some period of time since I'm sure, you know, beginning of last season or whatever. And so that is a way of showing that Matt Carpenter in his opportunities has been as good of a hitter. I know that this is where people will be like, what do you mean? He's not as good as Aaron judge, but on a rate basis, this is a stat that gives you the opportunity to compare players across the league. 100 league average, Matt Carpenter, oh my God, his WRC plus is 170. Aaron Judges is 175, right? But I think it's not about the sad in particular. It's about the communication. It's about the gatekeeping. It's about the assumptions that how could you not know this, right? It's an opportunity. Like it is something that sometimes if you do explain it or you introduce it to someone in a way that's not assuming that they know it, they'll be like, oh, that's cool. That is more helpful. That is more useful, right? There's a reason we are pushing these stats. The reason we are using them as often as we do, because we think they are more accurate. We believe that they tell a better story. Right. Um, And I think, you know, Zach Kreiser wrote a really good thing about this today at Yahoo. And I think that's the thing. Like we can strive to present better and more helpful, comprehensive information about baseball players. That's not a bad thing but we can't pretend like there isn't some work to do to kind of get that to a much more mainstream level. Thank you, Blake Snell. (laughs) Thank you for your service, Blake Snell. You are the perfect person to to have this uh, happen. Uh, Much more importantly, Jake. From advanced stats (laughs) to advanced beats. That's terrible. Lil Wayne showed up at Minute Maid Park on Tuesday evening, and it was predictably entertaining. Uh, two takeaways here. One, what a year. What a year. What a month and a half for David Hensley. David Hensley uh, getting to catch the Megan the Stallion first pitch and then hanging out with Lil Wayne six weeks later. David Hensley's not been hitting. Doesn't matter. Because 
what matters the most is number two, which is that David Hensley's manager is Dusty Baker. And I get the sense from everything that we've heard, I don't know exactly the reason why Lil Wayne was uh, in attendance here, but what I do, what we have seen time and time again is that Dusty Baker knows everybody, right? And this has gotten to, this has gone in some bad directions where it's like, oh, Dusty Baker's shouting out Bill Cosby. That's not good. We don't like that. But it is also a reminder that Dusty Baker knows everybody and everybody knows Dusty Baker. And so Dusty Baker can probably make the call to invite almost any, any fame. Like there are so many people that if Dusty Baker said, hey, swing by the yard, they would show up. And I don't know if Lil Wayne is an example of this, but I get the sense that it was. I love the video of him like dapping up Bregman as if I couldn't tell if it was like, have they hung out before? Like, I think so. You can hear Lil Wayne go, Tiger. He says Tiger to Bregman because Bregman went to LSU and Lil Wayne is from New Orleans, yes, uh, which is near Baton Rouge in Louisiana. So that's what that was about. Lil Wayne had a show last night at the House of Blues in Houston. So he wasn't just like in town to see Hunter Brown. Like he was there. Should have been. To perform. Mm -hmm. Hunter Brown was eh last night. But he was just in town to perform and I guess swung by Minute Maid Park. It really is great. There's a video of him talking about getting to meet all the players. And uh, I think Mark Berman tweeted this out. But Lil Wayne's just like clearly amped to meet Reggie Jackson. Oh, Which yeah. to me is the coolest part. Because he's yeah. like, ah, oh, Alex Bregman, that's cool. But like Reggie Jackson for someone like Lil Wayne, who's, you know, the, Reggie was the freaking man well, at that well, time. This is the other thing. Like Reggie Jackson is getting name dropped in rap songs, right? <laughs> in a way right. that Kyle Tucker is not. <laughs> so, so I feel like there's a little bit more, uh, more cachet there. But yeah, no, so it's like, true. Oh, but he here's really- the other thing. Lil Wayne born in 1982. Reggie Jackson last year in 1987. So like Lil Wayne does not actually remember Reggie Jackson. But that's what I'm saying. The Reggie Jackson brand is strong enough to where it's like Reggie Jackson is a dude. Like Reggie Jackson was important. He is still important. And I think that, but to your point, this is my favorite thing about these pictures. Sometimes you see celebrities or whatever, musicians or other athletes that show up and throw a first pitch and are like, I'm here to throw a first pitch and I'm here to leave because I could not care less about this sport and being here. That does not appear to be the case. Unless he's faking it really well, Lil Wayne is having a great time. And we love that for him. And we love that for Mauricio Dubon and all the other <laughs> random Astros that got to hang out with Lil Wayne. If I had told you that Lil Wayne and Reggie Jackson would be embracing and conversing at Minute Maid Park in the year 2023, 10 years ago, who would you be more surprised is there? Lil Wayne or Reggie Jackson? <laughs> or Dusty Baker. Or Dusty Baker. <laughs> so, yes, there's uh, there's there's a lot of levels to it, but we love to see it. We love to see it. All right, Jake, I think it's time to end this podcast. Let's do uh, it. We, uh, this is, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to more on Friday. Of course, we'll have the good, the bad, the ugly, but we're going to cut it here. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Baseball Arbercast. Thank you to Maddie Lee for joining us to talk about the Cubs. Thank you to Chris Tyler for producing. And we'll be back on Friday with our regularly scheduled end-of-week episode of Baseball Barbercast. Serious XM Podcasts.